You're listening to Commute, the podcast. Congratulations, you'll be smarter when you get there. What up? There we go. I'm fighting a summer cold. That was my fifth try at the uh, the intro to this episode. So glad to have you aboard on this Monday morning or whenever you're listening to this edition of Commute the Podcast. I'm Dave. And I'm Jay. And we want to welcome you into what we call our audio experience. It's a weekly educational podcast where we aim to entertain and inform you over the course of your average commute. This week on Commute... Any guesses on what the most popular show on YouTube is? Without even hearing your answer, I'll go ahead and tell you, you're wrong. You really blew this one, Skype. When we needed you most, why did we choose Zoom over you? Video games are fun, right? Well, not for all of us. A recent study found that for one in eight, it's not a hobby, it's an addiction. All of that on this edition of Commute. Let's get it. All right, Jay. So while you and I are very different people, we also share a lot of things in common. Perhaps, though, one of my favorite things about where we are at in this stage of life is that we're both currently going through the same season as fathers. We're learning how to be dads. And I want to take a second, actually, shameless plug, to plug my other podcast, the Dad Pod Podcast, I do with my buddy Bobby Iddings. It is a bi-weekly podcast all about the experience of fatherhood, the good, the bad, everything in between, how to become a better father. If you are a father or if you know a father, we invite you to come hang out with us on the Dad Pod Podcast. But Jay, I think we've seen it time and time again. There's a nice benefit, right, to you and I going through this season. Together, Yeah, I mean, having someone that you can just kind of talk about uh, things that have happened, especially like when you feel like you're doing everything wrong, which seems to happen, you know, weekly. Also, you really find out how much you love somebody. So we, we recently had a power outage in our area. Uh, well, actually, it was, I guess this past winter, we had a power outage in our area. And Jay and his family came to stay at our house for a couple days. And it was right when his boys were potty training, his twins. And I still don't think we've cleaned up all the pee out of our kitchen. <laughs> that is a lie. <laughs> that is not one accident. And no, you know it. Dude, there was tons of pee. And I think there's a little poop somewhere in our kitchen. <laughs> But one of the most fascinating things, Jay, that we've got to experience together is the current state of children's programming. Okay, so when we were kids, we watched the same VHSs over and over and over, right? Like, so for me, it was Scooby-Doo. I watched the Scooby-Doo VHS over and over and over. But now, with the endless amount of streaming services, so we're talking YouTube, Disney+, Plus, Netflix, Hulu, Amazon Prime, the, the number, it's an outrageous amount of options you have when it comes to how you can stream shows. They offer limitless options for our kids. One such show, though, that has been both the bane of my existence and fascinated me all at the same time is a show called Coco Melon. So my kids were into it for a little bit. Like they kind of got into it when they were about one year old and there was like a solid three or four months where they were into it. But your son is obsessed with it and has been obsessed with it for a long time. And there's no end in sight. Yeah, yeah. And so if you don't have young children, 
you've probably never heard of Coco Melon. Actually, I hope to the sweet Lord that you haven't watched it by yourself. Unless you, if you watch Coco Melon, you better have watched it with somebody under the age of three. Okay, I don't know. There, there were Melon times. Is. There were times that my kids would be like asleep, and I realized that you I'd watched it for it. like a minute too long, and I was like, "What am I doing? I don't have to watch this." I, I did that the other day, by the way, with Toy Story. We're big on Toy Story right now, and I've watched it, I think, eight times in the last week. And I just went ahead and kept watching it when he went to bed. So what Coco Melon is, Coco Melon is a cartoon that features a baby named JJ and his family, and they do everyday tasks with great enthusiasm. Okay, the horrifyingly catchy songs focus on themes like sharing, the first day of school, eating your vegetables, my personal favorite. Today is Father and Son's Day. It has bright colors, bold letters, cheerful lyrics, and they have amused my son, as you said, Jay, for many an afternoon. But beyond the, eh, okay, it's just another lame kid show, Coco Melon is actually a wildly successful financial giant. As to the history of how Coco Melon began, well, that's interesting as well. Not a ton is known about the husband and wife team that founded Treasure Studio Incorporated, the California production company responsible for the birth of Coco Melon. But while the origin is somewhat debatable, the success is definitely not. Coco Melon is the most, hear me on this, Coco Melon is the most viewed YouTube channel in the United States and the second most viewed channel in the entire world with just over 102 billion views. And those views come largely from the over 100 million subscribers to the channel, bringing in an estimated $120 million per year in ad revenue. And it's not just YouTube where Coco Melon does its damage. Coco Melon has spent over 150 days as of this recording in the top 10 on Netflix, nearly 100 days longer than any other show. And Jay, while Coco Melon isn't going anywhere anytime soon, even though thankfully our kids will, and in your case, have already started to grow out of it, a new Coco Melon special just hit Netflix this month about JJ and his friends enjoying their summer, subsequently ruining the summer for me and parents all over the world, and Coco Melon toys continue to fly off the shelves. My own mother bought a Coco Melon toy for my son, and when I looked it up on eBay later that night, I could have resold it for quadruple the price that she paid for it at Walmart. So, Jay, what is it about Coco Melon that draws these kids in? Well, it's the things I mentioned earlier. Bright colors, catchy songs, familiar characters. It's the perfect concoction for evil geniuses. I haven't watched an episode of Coco Melon with my kids in probably over a year but I sing the songs in my head every single day to this day. I'll find myself like making dinner and then I'll just be singing one of the random songs that's just like buried way deep into my brain. So Dave, there's no doubt that the COVID pandemic had a mostly negative effect on our world economy as shutdowns kept consumers from spending money and generating income. But 
Within the chaos, there also lay opportunity for some. And as our workspaces and classrooms moved from the office to online, the opportunity should have been an easy layup for Microsoft, who owns a company that for nearly two decades has cemented itself as the primary tool for video chatting, even becoming the verb that we use to describe the very act of video calling, a company called Skype. And Dave, in history, there are many legendary underdog stories where an upstart loses to an underdog when winning should have been easy, like the Warriors losing to the Cavaliers in the 2016 NBA Finals after gaining a 3-1 series lead, the Hare losing to the Tortoise because he wanted to take a nap in the middle of the race. But within these ranks, we now include Skype losing the video conferencing gold rush to an app half its age called Zoom. My favorite story that came out of the pandemic about um, all this video chatting that was going on was about a woman who, I think she was like a CEO of a company. She accidentally turned herself into a potato on on one of these business meetings over Microsoft Teams and couldn't figure out how to turn it off. And so she was like a, a talking potato to these people who she was wanting to take she wanted them to take her very serious, but she couldn't figure out how to change it. <laughs> yeah, so so I'm a teacher, and I know whenever COVID started and all the learning moved online, like we started with Zoom, and uh, all of a sudden there started to be these stories about how you know kids were posting their Zoom links on like Twitter and stuff, and then people were like hopping in and throwing like hate speech into these like classes and stuff. So the district that I teach in like freaked out and made us switch to Microsoft Teams, but uh, but we started on Zoom and a lot of companies uh, use Zoom. So let me give you a little bit of the history here. So in May of 2011, Microsoft acquired Skype for a whopping $8.5 billion and subsequently overhauled the app to try to expand its capabilities to other forms of messaging and communication to compete with rising social media apps like Snapchat by adding messaging services and emojis and things like that. And the issue was, however, that many of these new features came at the expense of what made Skype popular in the first place, which is just reliable video calling. The interface became buggy, and then advertisements paid tiers of features, and pop-ups crept in, security declined, and the average app store rating dropped from 3.5 stars to 1.5 stars in June of 2017. The app became clunky and frustrating to use, while other similar applications began working towards offering a more user-friendly experience. And the great thing about Skype at its height was it just simply worked. You didn't have to worry about a drop call or your video being hacked or a pop-up. You just knew you could count on it. So Microsoft began working on the issue by pouring resources into what we know now as Microsoft Teams. Like you said, a video call interface that ultimately will fully replace Skype by July of this year. When the COVID pandemic hit in the spring of last year, however, Zoom hosted more than two times the number of video calls of Skype and Teams, both a stark turnaround from the age of Skype just years before. So what happened? Well, for one, Zoom was free to download and it was much easier to use, but there's also a marketing angle here. Skype is more and more seen as the video conferencing tool of the past as Zoom becomes more synonymous with the act of video conference. And this is a quote from the Wired article by Kiernan Walsh that contains a lot of the information in this segment. He says, Muckrake, a website studying journalism produced around the world, uh, b- said that between May of 2019 and February of 2020, Skype 
consistently led media discussion around video conferencing. But when journalists started having to recommend software to use, they began mentioning Zoom more and more at the expense of Skype and other competitors. In March, Skype was mentioned in 51,000 articles, while Zoom gained mentions in 60,000 stories. But by April, Skype remained the same, written in about 50,000 articles, while Zoom was included in 195,000 stories. So the COVID pandemic merely accelerated a trend that was already happening. Our slow exodus away from Skype for an alternative was sped up as the demand sharply rose for reliable video conferencing software overnight. So what will the legacy of Skype be? Has there ever been a time in human history where a product that became the actual verb we use to talk about video conferencing sat on the bench when the biggest demand for its use to ever occur suddenly called out? Whatever the legacy of Skype will be, it will no doubt have to include this dramatic final chapter, one of missed opportunity. So going back to that potato story that I mentioned earlier, um, on BuzzFeed, I love the, uh, the intro paragraph. This is the intro paragraph of the story about the woman turning into the potato. So millennials were told we could be anything. So Lizetto Campo <laughs> became a potato. <laughs> Jay, I'm not much of a gamer. I, I do play some Call of Duty. Um, you and I actually, at the height of the pandemic, uh, played um, a lot of Call of Duty with one of our friends. Right now, I kind of just play with my wife, but it's still something probably once a week. I'll play for a couple of hours. Yeah, I mean, I, I still keep up with it. I definitely used to play a lot more whenever I was, uh, you know, didn't have kids and was younger. And then, well, I think you're you're probably being a little bashful because anyone who has played World of Warcraft, as I know that you have, would probably be more considered a gamer. The World of Warcraft uh, time of my life lasted just for a few months, but it was a roller coaster ride of a few months. Which, for for people that don't know, World of Warcraft is what you do when you don't really have any <laughs> wow, friends. Wow. Okay. So you just you play this game online for for hours. It's your job. It is your friend. The game is your friend. Well, the summer that it happened, I was in college and I was living uh, in an apartment, and my roommate was getting ready to start like his hardest semester of college. So he kind of took the summer off, and I was working at Old Navy over the summer, and I wasn't working a whole lot of hours, and so I had a lot of free time, and he had a lot of free time, and I don't even know how it started, but we just started playing World of Warcraft and I mean yeah like it it took over my life a little bit like I thought about it a lot like if I was at work I would just be folding clothes and just like thinking about like man I gotta go hit that dungeon later and we like joined a guild with all these people from around the world and I'm still friends on Facebook with like five or six of them which is kind of weird two quick side notes on that once I dated a girl whose dad was obsessed with World of Warcraft and so when I would go over to her house to hang out with her her dad would say hey come back here and look at my my upgraded character He'd show me all the stuff. Uh, second thing is the apartment that you lived in when you played World of Warcraft. My main memory of that apartment is that you bought a bunch of potatoes when you first moved in. This is a, this podcast episode is taking on a potato thing. Um, <laughs> but you bought a bunch of potatoes when you moved in, and then you forgot about them for a few years. And so when you moved out, they had formed their own potato town uh, throughout your cabinet. Well, that. <laughs> that makes me sound like just an absolutely disgusting person. And I promise I'm not. It's just, it was a weird cabinet. It was like way up too high. And I just forgot that I'd put them up there. As they say, if the shoe fits, 
Well, Jay, in 2018, and maybe this is some information that you need, the World Health Organization added a new disorder to its list of substance or addictive behaviors, gaming disorder, which it defines as excessive and irrepressible preoccupation with video games resulting in significant personal, social, academic, or occupational impairment for at least a year, a.k.a. you're addicted to video games. So, Jay, can someone actually be addicted to video games regardless of what the World Health Organization says? Well, the answers kind of vary. Most researchers agree, though, that video game addiction is real and is, in fact, becoming an epidemic. Well, to most gamers, a number that is estimated to be around about 2 billion people that play games, video games are an enjoyable hobby. But for one in eight, the hobby is more like an addiction. Video games, as a whole, have been around for a long time, whether it be the Atari, Nintendo, PlayStation 4, whatever your flavor. Video games have become as much a part of our cultural entertainment scene as movies or sports. A typical gamer in the United States spends 12 hours playing games per week. 34 million Americans play an average of 22 hours per week, and about 60% of gamers have neglected sleep to keep playing. And about 40% have missed a meal or work. Somewhere around 20% have skipped their daily shower. In 2018, people around the world spent a collective 9 billion hours watching other people play video games on a streaming service called Twitch. Now, that's where things start to get kind of wacky. 3 billion more hours than the year before. Just think about that. In South Korea, where more than 95% of the population has internet access and connection speeds are the fastest in the world, compulsive gameplay has become such a public health crisis that in 2011, the government passed what's called the shutdown law, which prevents anyone under 16 from playing video games online between midnight and 6 a.m. Now, there are some arguments on the other side of this coin, Jay, against the validity of video game addiction. And those arguments generally center around three main themes. Those themes are that, number one, excessive gameplay is not a true addiction, but rather a symptom of another underlying problem. So maybe you're depressed or you have anxiety, and so it leads you to play more video games. The second one would be that video game addiction emerges more from moral panic about new technologies than from scientific research and clinical data. And the third would be that making video game addiction an official disorder risks kind of making a hobby into a villain, that this is just something that people like to do, just like going out and shooting basketball after school. Some people just like to play video games. That's where we enter our newest industry, video game rehab. 30 to 90 day rehab facilities are popping up all over the country that function in a similar way to drug and alcohol rehab facilities. Here, addicts check in and discover coping methods to help them conquer their addictions. At one such facility, um, the the people that check in really start to, to spend some time playing disc golf. They try to get into outdoor activities that build relationships. And Jay, that is what we focus on as we end this segment. All the studies point back to this. Relationships 
are the key to keeping people from not only video game addiction, but addictions in general. According to a 2018 study, more than 40% of Americans feel that their relationships are not meaningful in any way and that they generally feel isolated from others. 20% rarely or never feel close to anybody in their life. And young adults in the year 2020, between 18 and 22, scored loneliness as the highest ranking cause of an unsatisfactory life. And, I mean, I believe it because if you really look at the way games are made, and it's not all, but a lot of games are made today, is they're made with the intention of rewarding your behavior slowly and over time. And the idea is that they can kind of play on those pleasure centers of your brain. And so by doling out small rewards that you have to put a lot of time into, they really can hook you for long periods of time. And, Jay, if you ever get back into World of Warcraft and your wife and I need to save you i hope you've been saving up money so a typical stay at a video game rehab facility lasts between 45 and 90 days and costs around thirty thousand dollars i don't know i might log back in see what my old guild's doing see if they're still around (laughs) like jay's here it's been a decade (laughs) jay's back we've been waiting for you that's it thank you so much for listening to this week's edition of commute the podcast don't forget to please rate subscribe and review to the show on your favorite podcast platform it just takes a minute and it helps us out a ton music for commute is provided by my main man jason salmons and for jay sisson i'm dave traub have a great week we will see you next monday